Hello and welcome to Navigating Nursing. I am your host, Laura Whitehead, a registered adult nurse, a critical care nurse, qualified lecturer and fellow of the Higher Education Academy. And I'm welcomed today by Professor John Unsworth, who is a professor of nursing at Northumbria University. He's also a vaccinator for the COVID-19 in East Durham Primary Care Network and he's the chair of the Queen's Nursing Institute. So welcome, John. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Laura. I'm very pleased to be here. So I'm just going to take you right back to the beginning. Did you always want to be a nurse? Nursing is not something which runs in my family. Um, so, so I can't claim that I was inspired by anybody. Uh, I think I always wanted to go into a, a, a helping kind of profession. And so nursing seemed ideal. Funnily, on the basis that I could start when I was 17 rather than wait till <laughs> I was 18. Um, that doesn't sound particularly great now, does it? No, <laughs> no, that's as good a reason as any. The nursing <laughs> profession will take that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, uh, I've had a fantastic career, but that is the honest truth. That, um, <laughs> that one-year difference. <laughs> could start earlier, yeah. <laughs> um, and you've had a variety of careers, um, a variety of careers. So you've had a variety, worked in a variety of specialities, so medicine, surgery and care of the elderly. Were those always areas that you were interested in during your training? They, they, they weren't really. Um, so um, in, in my um, nurse education programme, I got to spend four weeks in community. Um, so I, I did a week with the district nurse, a week with the health visitor, a week with a school nurse and a week where I could go with anybody I wanted to go with. That's good, because now a lot of students have one. They only go to one, don't they? They don't kind of get to see that whole yeah, picture. Um, they tend to go for longer, yet I spent a week with the district nurse and I knew I wanted to be a district nurse. Oh, wow. So the reason why I moved between medicine, surgery and care of the elderly is I wanted a range of experience. At the time, um, you had to have two years post-registration experience before you could take up a community post. That, that's not true now, and I needed to spell that myth right from the, from the outset because it, it's a myth which drives me to distraction when I see it on social media where people say I'm thinking about when I qualify going into the community what advice have you got people have told me to wait two years no no go straight into the community your programs the programs now are very different and the teams are very different so at the time I qualified you would have a district nursing sister in the community with an auxiliary nurse in most teams so the level of support, teams are much bigger now, practices are much bigger. You rarely see a single-handed GP practice yeah, very uh, rarely. anymore. So the level of support that the newly qualified nurses would get in the community would, would be great. So anyway, back, back to why I chose those three specialities. I wanted a range of experience because in the community we do all of those things. So we look after people with long-term conditions. We look after people post-operatively who've had surgery, you know, whether that's just removal of sutures or whether it's wound care, etc. And uh, obviously care of the elderly is a, a big feature. So I, I basically spent a, a period of time in each of those specialities in order to make myself the most employable I could. So there was a plan there. Good, Good to have a plan. I think that's what some people struggle with, don't they? If when they qualify, they're not sure what they're going to go into. So what do they pick? Yeah, I was talking to a group of students just last week, actually, about, about this. And what's really important is how are you going to differentiate yourself from the other candidates? So, you know, it, it doesn't mean you have to have vast levels of experience. But if you've been the chair of the university's nursing society or a student rep, 
um, or you've you know you've you've taken you've done voluntary work previously or previous careers you might have had. All of that will set you apart from some somebody who just came to university, did their three year degree, and, and has exited. So people need to think about how do I differentiate myself from the other candidates. I think as well. But I remember when I applied for my lecturer job it didn't even occur to me to talk about the other teaching experience that I'd had outside of nursing. And in the interview, they were like, they, it said on your CV that you've done all of this volunteer work. And I was like, oh no, yeah, I teach all the time. I've made mark schemes, I've organized programs. I've, And then now you look back and you just think, yeah, why, that, that's your unique selling point. Yeah. Really got all, to... all, all of those really transferable skills. And I think I think we forget about about those when we when we apply for jobs. And mm-hmm. um, on the leadership course I'm on at the minute, um, we uh, listened to American uh, nursing leader, and and she said, as long as you've done things for at least five minutes, you should count them as that you've got that e- level of experience. And I thought that's a good philosophy to that's have. Good. Well, I'm an expert tea maker in, then. In life. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you've also been a nurse consultant. Was that a job that you knew you were going to move into? No, because that, that that's that's a job which didn't exist when, when I started my career. So they were introduced, oh, let's have a think, um, late 1990s. Um, and it was a way of trying to create a clinical career pathway for for people to have to have senior posts but still be working in clinical practice. So nurse consultants spent at least fifty percent of their time in clinical practice and fifty percent of their time in leadership, management, and teaching and research. And the modern equivalent, although there are still nurse consultants about, is probably clinical academic careers where people stay in clinical clinical practice, but spend some time in a funded research post, possibly doing a PhD, those kind of things. And so that was an opportunity that 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 came along and presented itself. And I'm a great believer in if anything's new, I'd like to be the first at it. Yeah, that's very fair. And (laughs) in nursing, everything changes so often, doesn't it? Yeah, so I was one of the first nurse consultants uh, in in post. They had to be approved. The posts had to be approved by the then Department of Health. Oh wow! Um, and and Sarah Mullally, who is now uh, the uh, Bishop of of London, she was the Chief Nursing Officer, and she was heavily involved in developing those posts, and and actually came out and worked worked with me for the day, and and a few other colleagues. So. So, yeah, and I think that's an important career message for, for people trying to plan their career. You can set sail thinking that, the, the you know, this location is where you're aiming for and opportunities will present themselves along the way, which will knock you off course, but in a good way, because it's all experience and it's, it's, it's all valuable learning. And, and sometimes you change, change your plan basically um so you know what you ultimately think when you qualify you want to end up being might not be the job that you will do for the rest of your career probably won't I think as well you have a lot of students that are dead set from their first day in first year that are like I'm going to be a band six a year after I qualify I'm going to be a sexual health net yeah everyone's so kind of I think now it's very obvious isn't it with a lot of career paths where you're going to go you be a band five you become a six you become a cns it's it's quite a linear path isn't it where I think having that flexibility. It is, it is, but one of the interesting things in my career is that I went from, from essentially a band five post to, to a band seven. So I've never been a wow. band six. And th- th- that, w- again, was, was a bit of serendipity, you know, opportunity presents itself. So 
a colleague who was a clinical nurse specialist was off on long-term sick and they had nobody to cover that area. I, I had the qualifications and the experience to, to work in that area. It was continence care. And when I'd been on care of the elderly, I'd done a certificate in, in uh, promoting continence. And um, so half of my week was spent working into that band seven, even though I was a band five, covering the patient caseload, et cetera. And when the job came up, I, I got that job. So I leapfrogged a grade and, and there, there's no harm in doing that either in terms of, of, of developing your career. Um, you need to take the opportunities as they present. The, the other thing I said the other day to some students is, You'll be a band six for a long, long time if that's your ultimate career aspiration. Yeah, a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 40 years as a band six. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah, we might um, need a bit of variety to add a, <laughs> to add something else in. Yeah. So as well as being a nurse consultant, you then went on to be a deputy, a deputy and a director of nursing. How did you find that change in the role, you know, going from something where it was patient facing, there was that clinical element to then more into that leadership position? Well, I, I, I'm probably a strange kind of director of nursing. Um, so, um, because um, like a lot of my colleagues do, who are directors of nursing, um, not only do you walk the floor, but I used to spend time in clinical practice. So okay. at the time we were trying to transform community services and we were getting um, community nurses to put cannulas in and start IV antibiotics on patients to keep them at home out of hospital. And, um, and I would go out and, and help the staff uh, supervise them while they cannulated, show them how to do it, um, those kind of things. So I quite often would be late for the executive team meetings, arriving flustered in the uniform. And the chief, I bet that was a bit of a shock to them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and the chief executive would, would, would just smile and I'd say, I've been out delivering the core business of the organisation. That was my always my little quip. <laughs> I'll catch up in the minutes. Sorry. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, so, so it wasn't too much of a, a wrench moving away from clinical practice because I'd like to think, um, although if I was to go back full time, I'd obviously have some updating to do. But you know, I I can make the transition to working for NHS Test and Trace or delivering vaccinations fairly easily. I'm not frightened of clinical practice. Um, it's where I feel most comfortable. And I think there's a bit of a view, isn't there, sometimes, I think mainly among clinical nurses, that once you move into a different role that isn't as patient facing or it isn't part of your your kind of job description, that you then lose all that skill, that you no longer have that ability to then go and deliver that. But that's actually not the case at all. Yeah, I mean, when I do clinical skills teaching at the university, I, I always wear a uniform and the students will come for a tutorial in the office and say, see the uniform on the back of the door and say, did you used to be a nurse? And you think, well, is the clue not in the title? I'm a professor of nursing. I still am a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, so so they're, they're, they're quite shocked to discover that you still have nursing skills. And the other thing which always drives me completely bonkers about, about academia is, is the way people say, um, you know, that you're no longer a proper nurse. I probably know more about the evidence base behind clinical practice now than I ever did as a clinical nurse, even as a nurse consultant. You know, I, I'm probably, when you teach something, you need to understand it inside out because you're creating safe practitioners. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the evidence base around infection prevention and control or, you know, um, managing COVID-19 or whatever it is, 
you, you know it in, in massive detail when you're an academic. Um, Massive. I, I, yeah, I, I found that. I think I had like two weeks to get all the content ready about COVID-19 before the students went on practice. Yeah. And it was like, and this new document's obviously being published every day. And it was like, how am I ever going to keep where if you're clinical practice, you don't have the time to do that, do you? That's not you learn about in your briefing in the morning. The PP has changed. You know, that kind of element that affects your day to day where you're right when we're teaching. And also people always ask the questions that people always look at things from a completely different perspective than what you might do if you were doing it yourself yeah. and I'm always someone asks a question you think oh and that's then developing developing your knowledge overall as well yeah I mean I, I always say to my PhD students if you're really struggling with a concept work up uh, a teaching session on it and teach some other PhD students because to really you, you know to teach something you have to really understand it so you know if, if you're really struggling to get to grips with that philosophical approach or ontological stance or whatever it is then you know if you learn how to teach it then you'll you'll know it inside out so so, so that's the difference and, and I think for, for practitioners we we translate things so you know in terms of implementation science where we're very good at breaking things down into components into chunks for people to be able to to be able to to work with in a busy clinical setting which is what, what people need and was education an area that you were always interested in? Yeah, I can remember as a as as a, as a staff nurse, I used to love doing ward based teaching to with individuals or or you know pairs of students, um, and uh, and so it was an area I was really really quite passionate about. Partly because I've been helped greatly by inspirational and great teachers, so you know that you can really make a difference whether that was at school or whether that's in, in, in university. So, so yeah, um, I've, I've always been interested in teaching, still am. So, you know, um, I, I like to be able to roll my sleeves up and get into a classroom with students and make learning fun and inspiring and all of those things. And you're also the chair of the Queen's Nursing Institute. Do you mind just outlining to anyone listening what the Queen's Nursing Institute does and what your role as a chair involves? Okay, so the Queen's Nurse Institute is the oldest nursing organisation in the world. Um, so it's existed for about 133 years. It was, it was set up by William Rathbone, who was a Liverpool merchant and Florence Nightingale. Um, and and um, the patronage early on was, was Queen Victoria. And so it originally employed and set up the system of district nursing in the UK and across across the world. In, when the NHS came about and it no longer employed the nurses directly, it moved into doing education and leadership development. And it now is involved in policy influence, innovation awards, etc. So it, it, it basically champions and supports the development of, of primary health care and community nursing. I'm the chair of the governing council, um, so I am a trustee, I'm essentially a volunteer, um, so the same as any other charity trustee. Um, but as, as the trustees collectively um, set the strategic direction of the organisation, so um, manage its finances, make sure that it, it's got enough money to function, um, and essentially run it uh, almost like, like a business kind of model. We have staff, um, so as the chair, I manage the chief executive, um, and then the chief executive manages the rest of the, the staff team. Um, and 
as, as chair, you get involved in in various aspects of, of its work around policy influence, etc. So sometimes talking to politicians, ministers, talking to other nursing organisations, nursing midwifery council, those kind of things. So You've also done uh, degrees, MSc and a PhD. Have you got any advice for anyone that wishes to study at master's or PhD level? So, um, and, and your listeners will be disappointed to hear this because my students always are that um, I'm afraid you're going to need an MSc in order to be able to advance beyond band five in most organisations. So most of you are going to need an MSc. Think carefully about what it's going to be about um, in terms of your career aspirations. If you ultimately want to be an independent autonomous practitioner, you might want to look at um, advanced nurse practitioner or advanced care practitioner, your CP kind of master's degrees rather than just a master's in leadership and management or um, nursing, for example. Um, the, the key message I would say to people is none of them are any harder than the, than the previous one. I think what we forget is moving between academic levels is how far we've come. So I think this happens in your degree and as you progress through level five, six and, and six um, through the three-year programme. Um, students think that I'm moving up into the final year, it's going to be level six, it's going to be harder. No, it's different, but the previous study prepared you for it to be different and you've progressed. And so when you finished your degree, a master's is not really much harder um, because the, the work that you've done and your ability to analyse and synthesise and, and be critical has developed so that the master's degree will then build on that and develop it further. And then your PhD is, you know, it's, it, it would be no more difficult. The, the key thing about a PhD is it's an endurance test. I always say to my PhD students, it's, it's not particularly clever. It's just just more of a, can you keep going for so long? Who's got the staying power? <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's essentially what it is. And, um, and, and, and so, you know, I, I wouldn't be frightened of, of studying um, at, at those levels. And... You know, if you make it an area that you're interested in, then, you know, it, it doesn't become a chore and, um, you know, you, you can, can still study. I, I, I've got lots of, of academic qualifications and I have moved discipline a couple of times. So I, I actually did a master's in law, in medical okay. law. And I have to tell you, it's harder to move discipline than it is to move level. Yeah, okay. Um, so learning to write as a legal person as opposed to a to a nurse was very, very difficult. Different citation referencing methods, um, different ways of critiquing. So I, I was getting into lots of trouble by saying, well, the judge is just clearly wrong. You, were saying, <laughs> you basically can't tell the judge they were wrong. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> so... So, so yeah, um, do, uh, the, the advice I'd give to people is that, you know, think carefully about what, you, what you're um, going to do. If you've had a, a career that's as varied as mine with 20 odd posts, then you will probably end up with lots of qualifications. Um, but it doesn't have to be like that. You know, you, you could be an 8A, 8B advanced practitioner um, with a single master's degree. 
yeah you, you don't have to we don't have to go around uh, into the law department necessarily <laughs> no, <laughs> unless no. you want to i think you raised a really good point earlier about your certificate incontinence leading to a further post and i think a lot of the time nurses might think oh i haven't got time to that certificate i don't think it'd be worth anything it's not worth master's credits and actually I've just started a doctorate at the moment and I hadn't realised about how much previous clinical experience, you know, you can use towards that accreditation of prior learning and that small certificate or mentorship that you did years ago without even kind of a second thought actually can can be used as evidence going forward. Yeah, and uh, the the other thing is just about what we were talking about earlier on, which is the differentiation. How do you differentiate yourself from the other candidates? Yeah. And it might be that it's that short course that you've done. I think one of the things we've lost in nursing is, is the ability to have short courses which aren't necessarily credit-bearing, of short certificates which didn't necessarily go towards my degrees. And they were valuable in terms of, of clinical practice and also in terms of making myself employable as the best candidate. I think as well in nursing, it can be very difficult to get funding for a whole master's, for a whole MSc, for a whole MA. In fact, I don't know of anyone that's managed to get kind of a full-time or a part-time done. So a lot of people do it module by module, don't they? Yeah. And, you, you know, I, I'm I, I'm so old now that I, I did courses which were largely funded by the funding bodies. And um, so the Higher Education Funding Council in England would, would have funded my master's degree. And I think I only paid £2,000. Now a master's degree will cost you £10,000, £12,000. Mm -hmm. You can't afford, I couldn't afford now to do as many qualifications as I've got. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I, I've got six degrees. Wow. You know, I, I, I would never, ever manage to pay off the debt. I, and I wouldn't be able to get student loans for that number of awards. No, so yeah, you, no. You do need to think about how you build your skills, knowledge and experience with, with shorter courses, distance learning, those kind of... Because um, I found uh, the Open University to be quite good when I did my mentorship. It was just, it was so much cheaper. Yes. I think it was £300 compared to 1000 And it was like, well, I could do a couple of shifts on the bank and earn and earn that money to pay for to pay for the qualification absolutely so have you got any advice for anyone that is moving into a leadership position or that wants to become a leader i think you need to 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 basically have a, a think about what kind of leader you want to be and and what kind of, because leadership's largely about attributes people identify with leaders because they have a certain stance with behaving attitude and so uh, I think, you know, if, if you're thinking about moving into a leadership position, you really need to think about what kind of leader you want to be. For me, it's all about authenticity. It's about leading from the front. It's about doing the right thing for the right reasons and, and being highly visible and, you know, um, and, and, and responsive. And that, that doesn't mean that you can necessarily solve everybody's problems and everybody's moans and groans as a leader just by people knowing that you're there and that you're advocating on their behalf even though sometimes they don't like every decision you make will will mean that people will follow you and and will, will see you as their leader and have you got any advice for any student nurses or any newly qualified nurses at the moment i think the first thing is is congratulations on, well done <laughs> yeah on managing to get through your program during a pandemic no mean feat that's hats off to you and hats off to your your teachers and mentors in clinical practice for being able to to make sure that you completed your program on time i think the advice that i would give people is is that they 
are entering into a, a workplace where whether that's in private sector, whether that's in, in nursing home, social care, or in the health service, where the, the, there have never been so many job opportunities. That's partly because we're so short of, of registered nurses. Um, but, you know, um, th there will come a time in the future where students will qualify and will be fighting for jobs and not all of them will get the jobs that they, they were looking for. Never has there been a better time, really, in, in, the, in the job market. It's, it's uh, an employee's opportunity kind of thing, whereas empl employers are competing rather than you competing for posts. Um, so you need to use that to, to, to your advantage. Um, I always say to my students, take a job. It might not be the job ultimately where you want to be, but it's easier to get a job when you've got a job. Yeah. Um, and to get some experience under your belt. The key thing as a newly qualified nurse is you need to consolidate your experience. Um, you know, to, to be a newly qualified nurse and and have three or six months out would probably not be a good plan. Yeah. Although it sounds really attractive, you really need to consolidate your experience. It also becomes a bit more scary the longer you leave it. Yeah, that's true. I think as well, a lot of trusts do their preceptorships, don't they? Kind of August to September for the following year. I had a friend that went travelling for three months and came back and they were like, we don't have the newly qualified posts spare at the moment. You're going to have to wait a while. And that wasn't quite a situation that that, that person had envisaged. Yeah, no. I, I, so I, I do think you need to strike while the iron's hot. If you want some time out, you can probably have some time out when you've managed to consolidate your experience. There, there are opportunities later on. I, I always say to my students that if there's an opportunity for what's called a rotational course, take that great opportunity. Mm. Um, because it will give you an opportunity to sample more than one clinical area before you decide to, to, to set, settle down. What things were like as a student are often very different when you're a, when you're a registered nurse, when you're a staff nurse. Um, so it might be that you've always wanted to work in that setting. And yeah, you know, the team are probably going to be the same lovely team you worked with as a student, but the work's very different when you're a qualified nurse and in charge. Very. Of, and I found I loved A&E. I was a healthcare assistant in A&E during my training. And then when I'd been qualified a year, I went and it was completely different and it was like actually I really liked this as a place to work when I was a HCA I don't actually want to work here as a, as, as a band five yeah. I think that can be quite a shock can't it because I, I, for me I'd never envisioned that there would be much of a difference you just see it as a natural progression don't you yeah I mean I, I did six months on Metam when I first qualified and the thing I mean and I loved the board as a student and I picked to go back there and the ward staff fought to get me back there as, as a newly qualified nurse it was a very busy ward, a very big ward on call almost every day of the week because it had seven consultants. Wow. And um, it, it, it didn't have the degree of structure that I needed as a, as a qualified nurse. Surgery, I stayed for, for two years on surgery. Absolutely loved it because you, you know what's happening. You know when it's happening. Yeah, I think particularly being newly qualified, it, the pathways within surgery give you that safety net, don't they? It's yeah. day one, we do that. It's day two, we do this. And I think when you're trying to find your nursing voice and who you are as a nurse, and you're really consolidating, having that kind of set in stone guidance can actually help with your confidence, can't it? Absolutely. So, you know, so where you ultimately, and, and obviously, ultimately, I wanted to be a community nurse and, you know, knew that that wasn't going to be possible for a while. So, you have constantly in the back of your mind, what, what skills can I develop 
in relation to catheterization, IV drug administration, etc. That will then make me, you know, um, more employable when I apply for my first community staff nurses post. The thing I always tell people when I talk about career planning is you need to have a real long think about what your sense of purpose is. So your sense of purpose is described as the thing which makes you get out of bed on the morning. And if you want to be glib and, and superficial about it, you can say money, except that you're in the wrong profession, if that's the case. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's true you've chosen the wrong one go back and do the other degree <laughs> absolutely so but if you have a real proper think about it you it'll probably be that you know you want to be able to so when, when I, I did this the other week with a group of students and they said I like to be able to you know to see people improve and get better so I said well episodic care so theatre recovery accident and emergency outpatients that's not your bag because if, if, if you are you, you know what floats your boat is to to be able to see people longer term then you are talking about ward-based care general practice nursing long-term conditions management for me it's about in improving things and making things different and better and and therefore i'm you know you can kid yourself that i could go back to being a band five tomorrow i couldn't I'd be the world's worst band five ever because I'd be at the director of nurses and chief executives door every five minutes telling them what I thought which is not really what a band five does if <laughs> and <laughs> and you know um although I could do the job I'd probably that's not the kind of job for me because when I was a staff it's always been about innovation so I need a job that will satisfy that sense of purpose so if they can take a bit of time and think about their sense of purpose, you know, what makes them want to do, what makes them motivated to go to work, then they'll know what their jobs look like longer term. Bit of advice. I need to go work out what my sense of purpose is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what are your career aims going forward? <laughs> I'm almost at retirement. Sorry, just a casual question. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, still... I'm quite ambitious, but not necessarily in, in terms of, of, of different jobs. I, I need jobs which are constantly changing and evolving. The times when I've worked as a project manager have been the best jobs I've ever had. Nice time limited, then a new project comes along. So as a professor of nursing, doing research and projects, that, that really floats my boat because I can look at a new area of practice or a new pathway and, and move through those different things. I'm just coming to the end of the International Council of Nurses Global Nursing Leaders Programme um, that will finish in June and I'm, I'm hoping to get more involved internationally globally on in relation to nursing policy around policy influence so hopefully there'll be opportunities come up in, in relation to. I think it's something that not a lot of people listening might be aware that nurses are professors that 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 role exists so it's been really good to hear about your role and have some more information about that so thank you so much for joining me today John it was lovely for you to uh to yeah give us a portion of your time you're very welcome Laura I've enjoyed that thank you very much